Genesis 7, 11 through 16. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, and the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. And rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and three wives of his sons with them, entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Well, amen. Again, uh, my name is uh, Joshua, and uh, it's uh, good to see everybody today, this holiday weekend with all the rain. It's very apropos, don't you think, that we have rain when we're talking about knowing the flood? I asked God for that. He gave it to me. And it just proves I am in touch with the Creator. Uh, As I read uh, Genesis, and, you know, the more I, I study the Bible... And the more I really think about the Christian gospel and what it is that Christians believe, we really are an end-time people. We are a people of a book that is about the end of time. It's kind of like a survivor's guide to the end of the world. And the gospel is a survivor's uh, gospel, good news, to be saved from the end of the world. And a lot of people have speculated over the years, you know, how will life on earth end? You know, and there's this big question of how's it going to end? And everybody's in agreement. Scientists, everybody's like, it's going to end one way. In uh, 2006, 2020 did a, a special report called The Last Days on Earth, and they gave seven different ways that life on planet Earth will end, possible ways. And they talked about gamma rays and black holes and uh, they, they talked about intelligent machines like in the Terminator taking over. Like scientists were very serious about this. Like the Terminator could come and take us. Arnold Schwarzenegger will be a robot. He will destroy us all. You know, I mean, uh, they obviously talked about climate change, asteroids, lots of different ways. But they didn't list the one thing that the Bible says about the end of the world. And there's a very particular title for, that the Bible uses for the end of the world. And it's called the Day of the Lord. Everybody say the Day of of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the day of reckoning, and there's no 2020 special going to outline what the day of the Lord is or that that's the way it's going to end, but the prophets and the apostles talk about the day of the Lord. It is a prominent theme in the Bible. It's not like a, it's not like a side note or a footnote. It's like all over the place, Old Testament, New Testament, prophets and apostles say, There's the day of the Lord, and on that day, it's all over. It's done. Life as we know it is done. And I want to give you a montage. Happy Memorial Weekend Day. A montage from the prophets and the apostles demonstrating that they talked about the day of the Lord as the end of life as we know it. Let me quote some of these for you. Isaiah 13, verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel. With wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it, 
Jeremiah 46 and verse 10. That day is the day of the Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance, to avenge himself on his foes. The sword shall devour and be sated and drink its fill of their blood. For the Lord God of hosts holds a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 3. For the day is near, the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. You can make a little note outside of that verse right there and put Jesus with Caiaphas. When Jesus told Caiaphas at his trial, the next time you see me, I will be with the clouds. He's talking about, I'm coming with the clouds. The day of the Lord is my day. Joel chapter 3, verse 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Now, at this point, we go, well, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's all Old Testament. See, I don't even like that Old Testament stuff because that's all, you know, judgment and God. I like, I like New Testament, God of love. Doesn't God change from the Old Testament New Testament? The answer to that is no. Everybody say no. No, no God never changes. And in fact... Paul and Peter talked about the day of the Lord, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The Bible, prophets, and the apostles say it's all going to end as we know it on the day of the Lord. There is this emphasis, there is this, there is this motif, this plot line, and this probing question to all of us, will we be ready for the day of the Lord? Our faith is what's called an eschatological faith. It is an end-time faith. The church is a community of people preparing itself and calling the nations to repent so that there will be survivors who will survive the day of the Lord. As Christians, we believe it is a rehabilitating power to consider the day of the Lord. That it is useful and healthy to say, this day is coming and are we ready for the day of the Lord? It's good for believers who are suffering in this world because there are believers all over the world who are dying for their faith and they're getting crushed and persecuted and they're getting beat up because they say that there's one God and Jesus is the way to God and the government is coming and, and taking their families and putting them in prisons and whatever. And it's good for them to remember there is a day coming when God will do away with evil. Can I get an amen? Don't you ever watch the 24-hour news and say, when is something going to be done about evil? day of the Lord is coming. God will make all wrongs righted. God will, God will take care of evil. 
But you see, it's good to look at the day of the Lord, not only for suffering believers, but for casual believers, for nominal believers, people who are growing lukewarm, who are growing sleepy in their spiritual life, who, who are falling asleep, and they're so casual in their approach to God. They're, it's so loose. There's, there's no tightness in their relationship with God. It's just kind of this distant thing. And Jesus said, listen, I need you as my disciples to stay awake. Don't spiritually fall asleep. That's what Jesus kept saying. He preached this whole sermon on the end of the world, and he says, you got to be alert. you got to stay awake. Don't fall asleep. Don't slumber spiritually, you see. It's a rehabilitating power to look at the day of the Lord because it wakes us up. It says, you know what? This is more serious than I thought. You know, God's not playing around. It turns out God's not joking. And, and he wants us to stay awake as a church and as believers. It's good to look at the day of the Lord. It's healthy. It's positive. We Americans, were like, I don't want to hear about all that stuff. I just, want to, I just want to enjoy my weekend. Why do you have to bother me with this stuff? Dude, you and I need it. The preacher needs it. Can I get an amen? Sherry was really loud there. No, not really. Yes, he does. He needs to wake up. It's good to look at the day of the Lord, though, for unbelievers. People who are exploring faith and spirituality and you're investigating and you're trying to, trying to ask questions. And it's so easy to put it off. Like, you know, I really am interested in having a spiritual life and I'm interested in God. But, you know, I've got like ten other things I need to do right now. And when you look at the day of the Lord, you go, no, 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 no. This is not something you put off. This is something you need to decide about right now. Get your questions answered. Ask your objections. Pray. Investigate harder. Lean in. Seek God while he can be found. Jesus said, while you have the light, walk in the light. Stop being an unbeliever. Doubt your own doubts for once and believe in Christ. Believe what God has given you because the day of the Lord is coming. The prophet said it's certain. The apostle said it's certain. Jesus said it's certain. And so the goal today is to ignite that urgency to say, yeah, man, we got to get on our toes. Yeah, let's wake up spiritually. Let's, let's talk about the day of the Lord and let's talk about it in such a way to where we're motivated to evaluate our life. And to let God evaluate us and to let God prepare us and grow us even more so that we're ready for the day of the Lord. And in Genesis chapter 7, grab your Bibles and go there. In the story of Noah and the flood, we get two descriptions that I want to look at. A two-point sermon. It is Memorial Day weekend. Congratulations. It's a gift. Two points, so you're like, I don't know if he's capable of doing a non-three-point sermon. Well, I am. All right, Genesis chapter 7, and I want to talk about the day of the Lord using descriptions of the flood of Noah, and, and these descriptions should be evocative. They, they, these descriptions of the flood should be understood as descriptions of the day of the Lord, and they should kind of promote kind of a, whoa, hey. They should kind of get us kind of on our toes. And the first description of the flood and also the day of the Lord is that the day of the Lord will come suddenly. Everybody say sudden. And I want you to look at Genesis chapter 7, verse 11. See, the flood came suddenly, unexpectedly. Almost out of the blue for everybody except for Noah. Look at verse 11. 
In the 600th year of Noah's life, man, is he old. That's old. Everybody here is young. Congratulations. 600 year of Noah's life in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, underline that phrase, on that day. Real historic day, man. This is real history Moses is writing. This is not myth. It's in a real year of Noah's life on that day. All the foundations of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heaven were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, underline that, Noah and his son, Sham, Ham, and Jepheth, And Noah's wife and three wives of his sons with him entered the ark. And then skip down to verse 16. And those that entered, male and of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. Now, when did the Lord shut Noah and the animals into the ark so that they would not die? On that day. Yes, it it rained 40 days and 40 nights. But you understand, the second day is It's too late. The only way they get saved is on the first day of the rains, they get in. Even the dumb animals, the picture is the dumb, even the dumb animals, the cats and all that. I I am, I'm really trying to drive the cat lovers away from our church. I'm sorry. That's wrong. Even the animals are like, we got to go. Like first day, they're like, we got to get up onto this ark. The 40 days is irrelevant because on the second day, everybody is done. It's that sudden. It's that urgent. God's like, Noah, get up on there. And he shuts the door on that first day because it's so sudden. It says that the rain started coming from the heavens and also bursting forth out of the ground. We understand that, right, with our basements and the floods here in Illinois, right? I mean, the water, like, it's like a vice. It's raining, and then it comes up out of the basement, and you're just like squeezed between this water. And it's so sudden. That there's no chance. And that's what the day of the Lord is going to be like. Jesus said about the day of the Lord, look at this. Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 and 39. He says, but concerning that day, there it is, that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus says it's going to be sudden. It's going to be like it's too late. In fact, on that day, when Jesus comes back in the day of the Lord, when when Jesus comes back, there will be no time for repentance. There'll be no time to change your mind. There'll be no time. In fact, it's a day of revelation, not a day of repentance. It reveals what you decided to believe before the day of the Lord. You think about that tornado in Oklahoma. You think about... What happened in that community down there in Moore, Oklahoma. And that is exactly, Sherry and I moved from Moore, Oklahoma to come here. So that's our community. That Plaza Tower School is where my daughters went to elementary school when we lived. 
We've spent, the, we've spent the week online trying to see if Abby's teachers are still alive. And here's what happens. It happens every year. By the way, there's not a year when the sirens don't go off in your neighborhood at least once. You're always at least one, one time a year, you're putting bike helmets on your kids' heads, and you're getting underneath a mattress in a bathtub at least once a year, especially down in Moore. That tornado hit the ground, and people had 16 minutes, 16 minutes. That's like Oklahomans going, okay, there's a tornado watch. Okay, there's a tornado warning. They went from thinking about what they were going to watch and eat for dinner that night to where's the kids? We got to get to the school. We got to get out of here. You got 16 minutes to work your plan that you've already decided on. And it's not like that tornado comes and like, man, you know, we should buy a shelter now. Like, it's too late. (laughs) Your decision's going to get revealed. Whatever your plan was, if you had a plan, you didn't have a plan, whatever your plan was is revealed the moment that tornado hits. And it comes sweeping through. And it's a miracle, beloved, listen to me. It is a miracle that only 45 people died that day. Do you know that? It's horrible. But it's a miracle. And the reason why not more people died is because Oklahomans, while we might sound slow, we kind of know what to do. And our meteorologists are the best in the world. Let me tell you something about that Mike Morgan. How many of you guys have heard of Mike Morgan? That guy is a meteorologist, and he should be given the Medal of Freedom. He is a phenomenal, phenomenal meteorologist. And that guy flying in the helicopter, did you all see the guy flying in the helicopter? And I heard the national news lady go, I don't know why that helicopter's up in the air. I wouldn't say, dude, that guy saves lives by being up in the air because he shows pictures. And, you know, it becomes real real for people when they see the tornado, and they go, you know, they're not joking around. That's why more people didn't die because they had a plan and they listened to the meteorologist. And nobody says to the meteorologist when he says, you know, there could be a tornado tomorrow. Nobody says, you know, you're really bothering me with this judgment stuff, with all this warning stuff. I just want to live my life in peace. Why do you got to always bring up negative stuff all the time, Mike? Nobody says that because they know the tornado is real. Do you know that God is real? Our culture looks at preachers that talk about the day of the Lord and say, you know, you got to be negative and preach that fire and brimstone stuff. Why you got to do that? I just want to live my life. Dude, let me tell you something. God is a storm and he is coming. And it's not like he doesn't provide a way of escape. It's not like he doesn't provide refuge or a shelter. And all you got to do is do what Proverbs 18.10 says. The name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous runs to him and he is safe. It's not like God doesn't provide an ark and a cross and a resurrection and and the Son of God to find safety from the storm. But you see, we're so stubborn. Jesus said, you know, you're going to be marrying and giving to marriage. You're going to think nothing's wrong. And then suddenly, in a moment, that day is going to come and it's going to be too late. Jesus helps us further with this suddenness. He says, you want to be ready for the suddenness of the day of the Lord. Don't be like the wicked, he says. Matthew 24, verses 48 through 51. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. 
and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the words of Jesus. Jesus' point is we must be ready, we must repent, we must acknowledge that we have rebelled against God, that we have not loved as we should, that we've taken all that God's given to us, and you know, to whom much is given, much is expected, and, we, and we've squandered so much of our life. I've squandered so much of my life and the resources God has given to me out of rebellion and selfishness and out of inner decay. And Jesus is like, you got to repent. I'll never forget. I love this story, man. I, I think I've told you it before, but it's just so good. It's so right right here. But my parents went on a vacation, and I'm the youngest of three boys, and they decided to take me on the vacation but leave my two older teenage brothers by themselves in the house. How many of you all know that is a recipe for disaster? You all know this, right? So we leave, we go on this vacation, right? And we leave, we go on vacation. And we're on vacation, and my dad says to me, I think we'll go back a day early. I was like, yes, let's do that. Please. We come back a day early. My brothers have no clue what's going on. We walk in there, man, and you talk about degradation has happened in my mother's home. Debauchery. The smells and the odors and the, the funny-looking cigarettes and the, and the beer bottles and the, and, the, and the, I mean, everything, everywhere. And I walk in, and I was like, thank you, Jesus. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened. I'm like, you are in trouble. My dad walks in. It's a class. We talk about this all the time in our family. My dad walks into this house. He, stand, he walks into the middle of it, and he's like... He says to my big brothers, I'm going to take your little brother and we're going to go to the grocery store and I'm going to come back. You best take out the trash. This place better be spotless. And I was behind him going, (laughs) We leave. Five minutes later, we get back. That place is spotless. Can I get an amen? They took out the trash. And Jesus' point is like, I'm going to leave, okay? Because I just came into the middle of this pit called the world, and I just got killed by it and absorbed by its evil. And I'm going to defeat death, and I'm going to leave, and I'm going to come back. It's time to take out the trash. It's time to rid ourselves of those deeds of darkness. Peter says to the church in 2 Peter chapter 3, since things will be dissolved in this way, what sort of people should we be? Repent. You know, and it's just good. You know, we all need that message every now and then. Do you need that? I need that message. I need somebody to tell me every now and then, Josh, take out the trash, dude. Time to clean it up. Time to shave, brother. 
it's time to, you know, realize that the things that are bothering you so bad are not that big a deal. And you need to let go of anxiety and fear. You need to let go of hatred and anger. You need to let go of, uh, of jealousy and envy and coveting stupid things that don't last forever. And always worrying about whether I'm going to have the next nice toy or, or whatever. It's, dude, the day of the Lord is coming. And that means that everything that we thought was worth so much is going to be obliterated. And the only thing left standing are people real people in love with God and loving each other in community and being saved by faith. That's the only thing that's going to last. So shouldn't we make that our priority? Our faith and our love in God and our faith and our love for each other and everything else, take it out. Take out the trash. The day of the Lord will come suddenly just like that flood It'll come suddenly just like that tornado. It'll come suddenly at a time when you least expect it. The second description of the day of the Lord that we get from the flood is that it will be supernatural. It will come supernaturally. This is a very important point. Go to Genesis, go back to Genesis 7. Let me pick it up there. It's going to come supernaturally. Go to verse 17. This is very important. It says there in Genesis uh, uh, 17, it says, The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth, and the Hebrew literally says, greatly, greatly. Waters prevailed greatly, greatly on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swam on the earth, and all mankind, even the, yeah, everything on the, on the, on the dry land and whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out, underline that, he blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Many men and animals, creeping things, birds of the heaven, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. This is a remarkable passage filled with action-packed details, monotonous for the purpose of giving us a sense of just the rush of everything. All it needs is J.J. Abrams to do his little director's flair thing on there. You know what I mean? And, and, and it's just got this thing, and the waters are prevailing, and, and everything is greatly, and everything is destroyed, and it's just this massive moment. But when you begin to look at this section scientifically, you begin to ask important questions like, is this possible? Verse 20 in particular stands out. It says, the waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. That, that verse is saying, it's very important, it's saying that all of the waters went 12 feet higher than the highest peak of any mountain in the, in the world. What Moses is writing is he's talking about a flood of 40 days and 40 nights and the water rising so fast that it covers every mountain peak in the world. Is this possible? 
And there's not an honest scientist, believer or unbeliever, who will not tell you it is impossible that this could happen in 40 days and 40 nights. Could not happen. Not scientifically feasible. It's not scientifically possible. It's not rational. Evangelical scholars have been so bothered by this that they've attempted to interpret it as a localized flood. But even if you make it a local flood, it's still impossible that waters could rise that fast. In 40 days and 40 nights. You say, well, what are you saying? You going, you going to finish church early today and we don't have to come back next week and give money? Is that what you're trying to say? Are we done here? Beloved, what does Genesis tell us about God? He does the impossible. God works supernaturally. God does miracles. Is it scientifically possible that a very word could create light? Let there be light. Boom, there was light. That's not scientifically possible because God did it. God is supernaturally sovereign and he can do what he wants. He can do the impossible. If God wants there to be a flood in 40 days and 40 nights for symbolic reasons and he wants the waters to rise above every peak of every mountain in the world, God can do that. Can I get an amen? Jesus walked on water. Is that scientifically possible? No. So how did he do it? Because he's God. Jesus took loaves and and a few loaves and a few fish, and he fed 5,000 people. Is that scientifically possible? No. But you see, Jesus is God in the flesh, and God can sovereignly do the impossible. Make no mistake about it that this flood was a supernatural judgment where God employed winds and rains and, 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 and weather. He employed them for his purposes. He shot his divine sovereign steroids in him. They blew up and boom, there was a worldwide flood that destroyed everything on the earth because he's God. And that is the exact point that Genesis is driving at us. Let God be God. Don't doubt God being God. God can do the impossible. Think about what man is capable of. We're made in the image of God. And think of the wonderful things we can do today that if we told people, we went back in time 200 years, and we said, dude, check this out. Seriously. Like we went back in time, and we told, you know, I don't know, Abraham Lincoln or something. Wait, that's, that's less than 200 years. Whatever. Whoever was in 200 years. He said, dude, you can communicate people with this little gadget. And, like, there's no wire. And, like, there's these digital things that happen in the air. And it goes, and you can, like, talk live to people. And if you told somebody that 200 years ago, they'd be like, you are cracked. We're going to put you in jail right now. Right? You're out on your mind. It's a marvel. It's, it's amazing. Think about what we can do on the Internet. Think about what I'm doing with this little thing right here. Think about, think about the things that man is able to do. It seems impossible, and yet it's not impossible. It works within science. It works. Dude, I went to, the, how many of y'all been to IMAX theater before? With 3D? We went the other night. I don't go to the movies often. And I, I got these big glasses on. It makes me look like a Martian, right? And we went in to see Star Trek Into Darkness. Write me an email later. Anyways, and we go in there, and literally, I got these big goggles on, and I don't get to go to the IMAX theater that much, so I'm not used to it. And, man, it was like I came out of that theater. My hair was standing up, right? And my teenage daughter who was with me kept saying, that was legit. That was legit. 
that was legit. And I went, I don't even know what happened. I blacked out. Stuff is coming at me. When the spaceship went into warp speed, it stretched. And then it sent this space dust and it hit me in the face, baby. I don't know what happened. I don't know how they do this. But they do. And apparently it works with the laws of nature somehow. If man can do that, imagine what God can do. Imagine the day of the Lord. His powers which supersede at an infinite level anything we create in technology. And boom, when the day of the Lord comes, Jesus says, stars will fall from the sky. Jesus says that, that, the, that, the, that the sun will refuse its light. The moon will refuse its light. The heavens will be shaken. Revelation says there's an angel going to put one foot in one ocean, his other foot in the other ocean. He's going to blow a trumpet the size of Texas. And the vials of God's judgment will be poured out onto the earth. Another angel will call birds to himself like he's Gandalf. And start talking. This happens in Revelation. Starts talking to the birds like Gandalf. And the birds will obey the command of the angels and will eat the flesh of kings and human beings who are in rebellion against God. One angel in Revelation will take a millstone and throw it into the sea, creating a tsunami the size of our country. You say that's impossible. Darn right that's impossible. It's supernatural. And it will be a powerful force that will be undeniable. It will be sudden. It will be supernatural. The day of the Lord comes. And the gospel is about seeking our refuge. Making our peace. Because we want to be like Noah. The only one left was Noah because he was in the ark. You say, well, if his judgment is supernatural... What about his salvation? Go back. Let me read the last few verses for today. Go back to Genesis chapter 8. If God's judgment is supernatural, so is his salvation. And that's where the good news comes. You know, if his judgment is supernatural, we should seek a supernatural solution, a supernatural salvation. We should not seek a salvation rooted in cold, mechanical, Bible, bureaucracy, religion, or some kind of code or some kind of confession. We should seek a supernatural regeneration, something that changes our heart, something that's rooted in love. And that is what God gives us supernaturally. Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah. That word remembered is a very relational term. That's, that's love, like when you remember somebody. Like if you, go on a, if you leave a loved one and go on a, on a long trip and you're remembering, it's like that remembering of affection. <laughs> When Sherry and I have been parted for any period of time, when I've gone on a long trip or gone to Africa or Israel, and I've been away for 15 days, and I think of her in affection, and I miss her, I remember her affectionately. That's the kind of the concept of that word remembered. You see, God is a God of love and relationship and compassion. It's all about love. God remembered Noah and all the beasts And all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made, everybody say made. God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. 
God supernaturally, miraculously says, wind, blow over the land and start drying that water up because I got Noah who I love. You see, the day of the Lord means that we have a divine appointment and we have a divine appointment to be drawn to Jesus Christ as our Savior, as our Lord, as our ark. And what I love about Noah here is he is a type of Christ in this, at this point because the only people that get saved are those who are related to Noah, even uh, his family. Uh, uh, he's the one that's remembered. It's, it's, Noah is like Jesus in that anybody who's related to Noah gets saved. And I'm, I'm reminded of Jesus when he got baptized and he comes up out of the water and the dove is above him. Remember that? And God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. In other words, if you want to be saved, you got to be related to the one I love. And who I love is my son. Noah is a type of Jesus Christ. And, you know, I hate to say it, but the animals are a type of you and me, right? Because what happens with the animals is God draws the animals, all the livestock, all those animals. He draws them to Noah. He sends them to Noah. And the picture is Noah's just standing. He's built his ark. He's standing there. And the animals just start coming to him. They're like, and they go to Noah and they enter into the ark. And the reason why they go to Noah is because God draws them to Noah. And you want to know how we become Christians? You want to know how we become Believers in Christ because the Father draws us to Jesus. And we begin to sense, I need Christ. I need what he has. I need salvation in him. God draws us. Jesus said as much. In fact, listen to this. John 6.44, still thinking about supernatural judgment, supernatural salvation. This is what it feels like. Jesus said in John 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. You have to ask yourself, has the Father drawn me to Jesus? Is, is the Father giving me new spiritual instincts to where I start, I start walking to him and I start realizing I, I need a savior, I need a hero. I don't need a religion. I need a personal hero who will save me, a greater than Noah. And the Father's drawing you to Christ. He's drawing you to believe. And if you are a believer, you're like, I'm in. I entered that ark a long time ago. Jesus is my ark. Jesus is my salvation. If you're able to believe, it's because supernaturally God drew you to him. And you should give thanks to the Father for drawing you to Jesus, to believe in him. But if you're not a believer, you have to ask yourself a question. Is God drawing me to Jesus? Is he giving me a willingness to believe? You see, everything that we have from God is supernatural. Everything that we have from God is miraculous. Everything we have from God is because the Spirit gives it to us. God gives us invisible things of qualities that aren't below science or rationality, but are certainly beyond rationality. He gives us insight. He causes us to be born again. And when we're drawn to Jesus, we're drawn to two realities of Jesus. Number one, that Jesus died on the cross, and that cross is a picture of the ark, and he provides penalty, payment for the penalty of our sin. 
sin. But number two, when we're drawn to Jesus, we're drawn to Jesus in the fact that he makes God lovely to our affections. Jesus makes God as beautiful in holiness, and we begin to find in Christ through Christ, that God is satisfying, that God is pleasurable, that there are desires in God forevermore. See, before Christ, we don't think God is important or beautiful or worthy of our love unless he does something for us. But in Christ, we realize if God never gave us anything, Christ shows us he's still pleasurable because he is the end for which we were made. Jesus reconciles us to God, and in that reconciliation, we are saved from the judgment of God. And the day of the Lord is not a day of judgment. It will be a day of salvation for all who believe in Christ. But don't seek your own human means to be saved. Don't seek your own rationality to be saved. Don't seek your own man-made religion or denomination or pride in family or pride because your grandmother was so godly. What you must seek is the supernatural peace of God that draws you to Jesus, just like God drew those animals to Noah. Do you believe in Christ? What is your shelter plan for the day of the Lord? Are you ready? What is it that God is probing your own heart to repent of? What is it in your life that is not consistent with God's light? Let God expose it. Let God heal you. Let God grow you. His judgment will come suddenly. It will come supernaturally. So repent and believe in Christ and walk with him. And make good use of the time that you have left.